So that's the scripture that the pastors give the high school director to preach over. Um, so yeah, my name is Hayden. I'm the high school director here. And I think before we approach this text, um, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Father, um, I thank you that even when we come to weird and difficult texts um, like this one, that we can count on you to be faithful and to proclaim your truth to us, Lord. So I just pray that your spirit would be deep and moving in our hearts and our souls, and that we would be open to listening to hear what you have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, when I was in middle school, I was that kid that was listening to metal music, and I listened to one of the greatest metal bands of all time called Under Oath. Um, but the main reason I loved them was actually because their star in my eyes was their drummer slash vocalist um, named Aaron Gillespie. And Aaron was everything I wanted to be and aspired to be as a middle schooler. He was a drummer and a singer in a super successful band. And I thought, man, that's awesome. What else could you want in life? But apparently something because one day I learned that Aaron was leaving the band, that he was going away from Under Oath, and I had never seen them live, so I was sad. I was like, man, I'm never going to see these guys. Um, but one day, I was going to a Reliant K concert in Omaha, and the opening band was this band I had never heard of. They were called The Almost, and so I was like, well, I'm, okay, it's a new band. Cool, I've never heard of these guys. I wasn't super interested, um, but then all of a sudden... Front and center stood my favorite guy, Aaron Gillespie. And he was playing the guitar and he was singing lead vocals. He had started a new band, this new band called The Almost. And it was so different from Under Oath, but I really, I really enjoyed it. So later I had to look it up. I was like, why did this guy leave Under Oath to start this new band? And I found a quote um, from him and he just said, like, man, I felt like I couldn't be creative like I wanted to with Under Oath, and so there was starting to be this friction between the band. We were trying to go different ways creatively, um, so we just ended up going different ways. We split up. Um, so I realized, looking back, is what I thought was this tragic splitting up of a band that I really liked actually led to me having more good music to listen to, more good music that I liked, because these guys were pursuing their creative interests the way that they wanted to. There were more musicians on more stages playing more of their own music. And so as we get into our passage today, we're going to see something similar, um, but even bigger because it has to do with God's church. So what we're going to see is that no matter what, even in the face of sharp disagreements, God's love for the church leads to multiplication of leaders raising up disciples, and the faith of the church being strengthened by the good news of the grace of Jesus. So why don't you guys, if you have your Bibles, turn with me um, to Acts 15. We're going to start in the, verse, in the first verse, Acts 15.36. So after some time had passed, that's after Paul had gone on his first missionary journey and started all these churches, after some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. So it's easy to miss. We're going to stop right here. Um, but it's easy to miss. But I love this about Paul. Um, from the stories we've heard so far and the ones we're going to keep hearing as we continue on in the book of Acts, 
He just has this heart for sharing the gospel. He is relentless. He goes from town to town, into the synagogues, and preaches the good news, just proclaiming the truth publicly. But, as we see here, Paul doesn't just stop there. He's not content with just preaching the gospel, um, seeing people come to faith, and starting a whole bunch of churches. And you would think, you know, wouldn't that be enough? Hi, I'm Paul. I go around town to town. I preach the gospel. I start churches, and then I move on to the next town. You'd probably think, yeah, that could be enough. That could be enough. But instead, he makes these efforts to regularly encourage the churches to see them grow in their faith in Jesus and to pursue deep and meaningful relationships with each other and with their Lord Jesus. We know this is Paul's heart because our scripture actually includes at least nine letters that are just like directly written to these churches to build them up. And so he just has this heart. And for me, it, it makes me wonder why. Why does Paul care so much? And why does he go to such great lengths to encourage and to strengthen these people who have already come to faith in Jesus? And as I was studying this question and studying this passage, I think it exposed something in me that I, I maybe just had a small view of what the church is actually really called to be. There must be more to our calling as a church than just preaching the gospel and seeing people come to faith. Otherwise, Paul going back to these towns doesn't really make much sense. He should just go to other towns where they haven't heard the gospel yet. So I think we need to turn back to the very beginning to see where Paul's heart comes from and how he, his heart here actually reflects um, God's heart for his people. So earlier this year, if you were with us, we studied Genesis. And in Genesis, we saw that God creates a good world. And at the very culmination of that story, he sets humanity on the pinnacle of his creation. God says, let us make man and humans in our image and in our likeness. Meaning, just in the sheer act of grace by God, we were created to display God's character and to represent him to the rest of creation. But, as we see in chapter 3 of Genesis, instead of just proclaiming God's goodness, instead of proclaiming and bearing his image, we fall into sin, and we begin to proclaim my goodness and my self-image, and we start representing just myself. But, in spite of sin, in spite of that, our good God didn't just abandon us. He could have just walked away and said, well, this is a failure, but he didn't. He was committed to having spirit-filled humans bearing his image and representing him into creation. And so instead of backing out, he doubled down. He tripled down. He actually came down to us personally to save his good creation, starting with us, the sin-filled stewards that were corrupting his world day by day. So rather than removing his spirit from humanity, he actually offered himself in the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly where we started in the book of Acts, right? This spirit-filled gathering of people. And so that's how the church fulfills God's calling for humanity. We're called to be a family who believe and represent this good God who's full of grace to the world in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And that's exactly what we see here in this passage. Just like God continues to double down on his love for his people, so do these church leaders. Because God's love for the church moves his people. And it moves them to love the church too. So Paul and Barnabas saw a bigger picture of the church. And it, and it, just, it was this picture that struck me so hard as I was studying this passage because it means that these people sitting next to you, they're not just people that you'll like see in heaven one day. They're people that are actually filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, and called to represent His name and His goodness to all of creation for all of eternity. That's a heavy job description. That's important. That is weighty. And it's what spurs on Paul as he loves the church. And it's what is moving him to be encouraging them to build up the faith. And it's what should move us in our love for the brothers and sisters and our love for the people and the churches around us as well. We have to grow strong in our faith and knowledge and love for God. Otherwise, we will tragically misrepresent him to the world. I just want to let that sink in for a second. We as the church, we as brothers and sisters, we have to grow and strengthen our faith. Otherwise, we will misrepresent God to the rest of the world. So, church, double down. Double down on your brothers and sisters like God did for you and his commitment to you, like Paul does every day with the churches in his area. Don't be content with just having the people you know be plugged into a church and be like, all right, they're good to go. We all need encouragement and faith every single day to proclaim God's grace to the world and to each other. Ask the Spirit to grow that kind of love uh, for the brothers and sisters in your heart. And one really practical way to start this is just, just check up on people. Just check up on the people that you care about. You can actually do this a lot better than pastors or people like me who are on staff at a church. When we call up someone from the church, they're like, you know, understandably skeptical. They're like, why is this guy calling me? Are they checking to see if I'm like sinning or like why I wasn't at church on Sunday or why am I giving or do they want me to serve in kids ministry, which yes, actually do that. Um, <laughs> But when you ask them, when you, just a friend, ask them, you check up on them, how are you doing? They just, they're going to be more open because they just, they're like, this is my friend, they're calling me. So check up on your family because God loves them and he's got this big, big calling for them. They're filled with the Holy Spirit and that spirit of love lives in you, so let it move you to love your brothers and sisters. And I really want to encourage you, just like, don't, don't put this off. We want to be relationship rich, even if that means being activity poor. So investing in the church, it's where God started. It's where Paul started. So it's where we should start too. Because of God's love and calling for the church, Paul, he was doubling down on his relationship with these churches and building them up. But just like we saw in Genesis... We're going to see that this work of Paul's um, in building up the church, it's only accomplished by God's grace, and it's not accomplished by ourselves. So let's read these next verses. 
and see what happens. Barnabas wanted to take along John, who was called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take him along, um, take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed after being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord. He traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So Paul and Barnabas disagree on what to do with Mark, and they have such a sharp disagreement that they part ways. They go separate ways, Barnabas going one way with Mark, and Paul and Silas heading off in the other direction. So what we see here is actually the first biblical debate about cancel culture. Um, Okay, I'm just kidding. It's not about cancel culture. Um, But what is Paul actually so upset about? So if you flipped back to Acts 13.13, you would see that Paul wants to cancel Mark because of this. When Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, John left them. Remember, it's John who's also called Mark. He left them and went back to Jerusalem. So they're on this missionary journey, and for whatever reason, John Mark, he's like, I'm out. And he went back to Jerusalem. So it seems like Paul here, he's just still upset because of that. Um, But Barnabas isn't down to just jump on the cancel train. Maybe he thinks Mark actually just needs someone to come alongside him and encourage him instead. And we actually do find out later um, that Paul doesn't cancel Mark, or at least not forever. Um, in 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's kind of explaining how all the brothers and sisters in ministry have left him to go start their own ministries. It's probably how Austin feels at Central, all his brothers and sisters <laughs> heading out. Um, and he's kind of feeling lonely. So he writes to Timothy and says, Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you for he's useful to me for service. So we see in there that Paul does actually later on forgive Mark for leaving him and deserting them, but we also don't see Mark show up at all for the rest of the book of Acts. And the rest of the book of Acts follows Paul on his journeys basically exclusively. So even though Paul forgives Mark, we don't see him show up again. So I just want to unpack that for a second because... Personal conflicts and real deep hurts between people in the church, they happen. They do happen. They happen today, and we're seeing them a lot right now, unfortunately. And they happened back then, right here at the beginning of ministry with Paul and Barnabas. And in the moment, at least, this conflict between Paul and Barnabas seems like a pretty big deal. And I want to you to think how scary this would be for the church. I mean, these are like the only two missionaries in the world right now. So if they can't get together on this, what's going to happen to the church? Well, let's look at verse 41. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So ultimately, even though Barnabas and Mark do go separate ways from Paul, God's desire to grow and strengthen his church is still accomplished. So what does this tell us? It tells us that what Jesus told Peter in Mark 16, it's true. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. 
God's will for the church is to build her up and build her up in strength. And God's plan is going to be accomplished. Nothing can stop that because his love for us is always greater than any conflict. In fact, God can use those conflicts to accomplish his goals and prove his sovereignty and faithfulness in it. God uses Paul and Barnabas' disagreement to multiply leaders that are on mission. Look at the beginning of this story. At the top, Paul and Barnabas are going on mission together. And by the end of the story, Barnabas is discipling Mark, and Paul is going with Silas and discipling Timothy. We went from two leaders at the beginning to five. That's not just like multiplication. That's some way cooler math term that I don't know. Exponential equations, I don't know. All I do know is that that kind of math in the midst of a deep relational struggle is something only God could do. So this story shows us that we can trust God and that he will accomplish his work to build the church. So even in the middle of a deep relational hurt, with someone else in the church, we can remember that the kingdom is greater. It's greater than any personal conflict, even those really bad ones. So even though we might actually need to step away from a specific relationship with someone, like Paul does right here with Mark, that doesn't mean that we need to step away from God's work and will for our lives, and we don't need to step away from his work in the church. We're seeing that God has been committed to achieving his will in and through humanity in spite of our fallenness and in spite of our sin. We've seen that he's done that from the very beginning. That's what we saw in Genesis 1 through 3. And I think that this is an important thing for us to remember because it gives us comfort when we do see struggle in the church, right? It gives me comfort when I hear about pastors who have to step down because sin has emerged in their lives and it's just not good for ministry, It gives me comfort in my own weakness because I can trust that no matter what, God is sovereign even if I fall short. No matter what, God's will, which is good, will be done. God's love and desire to strengthen the church, it wasn't contingent on Paul's perfection or on Barnabas' faithfulness. It's not contingent on Ricky's cleverness or my ability to relate to high school students. God will Raise up his church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. So if you're struggling today with a hurt from someone in the church, and you're struggling to see how God could still be faithful in the midst of that, I just want to say that's okay. It's okay to be in that place. And you can talk to me. You can talk to someone else on staff. You can talk to someone in your huddle about that. We're all here to walk through that with you. And it's not easy, but I find encouragement here because whether or not these guys did it the right way or not, this first story shows us that God will always work out his plan to build up the church. And he's going to do it by multiplying leaders and sending them on mission, and nothing's going to stop that. So now, as we turn to this next section, starting in Acts 16, we'll see how God builds up that church by raising disciples that belong together that go together, and that grow together. Let's read Acts um, 16, 1 through 3. Paul went on to Derbe and Lystra, 
where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that place, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Paul is told by Timothy and how he loves Jesus, and Paul circumcises Timothy so that he can take him along on the journey. So first of all, awkward. Um, Yeah. And secondly, just hold up a second. Did it? We just read last week, didn't Alex just preach to us about how circumcision is not necessary for salvation? And we were all thrilled about that because we thought for sure that means we will never have to hear another pastor or person preach about circumcision ever again. But here's Timothy being circumcised by Paul, the Bible's champion for preaching about salvation by the grace of Jesus alone. So what's actually going on here? So it seems like the response of Timothy is actually the key here in this section, so we're just going to focus in on him for a little bit while we unpack this kind of confusing thing. So look back at verse 3. Paul circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So the Jews of that town, they know Timothy. They know him. And they know that he's not circumcised because his father was a Greek, so they wouldn't have let him into the synagogue because that was part of the law of Moses. So the reason that's a problem is because the synagogue is where Paul always starts his mission when he shows up to a new town. Later on in Acts 17.2, it says, Paul went to the synagogue, as was his custom, to proclaim that Jesus was the Messiah. So it was his custom. He had made it a regular habit that every time he came to a new town, he went into the synagogue first to preach the gospel. So if Timothy wouldn't have done this, he would have been prevented from being trained up and going along with Paul in the way that he does ministry. Timothy would have missed out on so many opportunities to hear Paul preach the gospel to these Jewish communities all while using their own scriptures. So even though Paul's main focus on this journey is to visit all the new church communities and to encourage those believers, Timothy decides to be circumcised for the sake of reaching those who don't yet believe. He doesn't do it because he thinks it's going to save him, but because he thinks it could lead to God saving others so that he could be more intentional in his outreach to those he's called to share the gospel with. In the end, Timothy's thinking, if me being uncircumcised is going to stand in the way from sharing the gospel to the Jews, then I'll do what it takes. And isn't that exactly how Jesus loves us? Philippians 2.6 says this, Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a a thing to be taken advantage of, but set aside his privileges and emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. So Jesus is God, 
But even though he is 100% holy, even though he is 100% good, even though he is 100% deity, he didn't point to those things as reasons to keep his distance from sinful and evil and mortal humans like we were. He actually pointed to all those things as reasons that he absolutely must come to us. Because he is holy, he came to save us from sin. Because he is a good king, he came to rescue us from the kingdom of darkness and into his kingdom of light. And because he is God, he came to defeat death and bring eternal life to us. This is how Jesus loves you. So if you're skeptical about Jesus because you picture God as like a distant and angry old man who's just waiting around the corner to get you, or if you're thinking that God couldn't love you because I'm just too bad. Or if you're thinking that there's just no hope in this life because we just live for a while and then we die and that's it. Hear about the love of Jesus today. Jesus, God himself, is not far off and distant. He came to you and let nothing, not even death, stop us from his true love. He's not waiting around the corner to get you. He's waiting at the door, offering forgiveness for sins and a chance to start again in a loving relationship with your true father. And this life, it's not hopeless. We have hope because Jesus overcame death, and he proved it by revealing himself to hundreds of people and his resurrection. And he proves it again. When you believe that Jesus is Lord, when you believe that he's conquered sin and death, he will prove it to you by giving you his spirit. And the Holy Spirit will work in your soul, and he will make you a new creation, a creation that's no longer a slave to evil and a slave to sin. It's a creation that cannot be held down by a bodily death, but a creation that has been raised to new and everlasting life with Jesus Christ, a life with God. So if you do believe that, and if Jesus loved us like that, shouldn't we love others like that? Even though Timothy was saved by grace and he didn't need the law to save him, he didn't use that as a reason to keep his distance from people who did think that the law was saving them. He actually did the opposite, and he modeled for us what a truly Christ-like love for the lost looks like. It looks like someone who doesn't let anything stand in the way of the good news of Jesus, because Jesus did the same thing for us. So the question is, is there something that you're putting between you and the others around you that inhibits Jesus from bringing the gospel to them through you? Maybe you're worried that um, being seen with quote-unquote bad people is going to make you look like a bad person. Or maybe you're afraid that they have different beliefs about God than you do. Or maybe you're letting cultural differences keep you from engaging with people that think differently from you. Or maybe you're so outspoken about something like politics that when you start to talk about Jesus, people just don't have the ears to listen to you anymore. Maybe you've created habits that just don't allow for time outside of your Christian community. 
Or maybe you're like me, someone who just wants people to like him, so he's afraid to challenge people's worldviews with the truth of Jesus. And so those are all reasonable things. Those are things that stop us from participating in God's ministry. But they didn't stop Jesus, and they didn't stop Paul and Timothy. So how do we confront them when they do stop us? So I think we have this beautiful picture of how right here in this section. It's in the way that Paul and Timothy model what their discipleship looks like. These are two people that basically just met. They literally just showed up in this town and they just met, but because of their unity and devotion to Jesus, they, de- they decide to become a family that belongs to each other. Timothy becomes a son to Paul, and he's, being fo- he's following him around in a sort of like apprenticeship. So Paul becomes like this father. He's training up Timothy to take on the ministry when he passes it over to him like a father at that time, training up a son to take over the family business. So they belong to each other like a family. Why? Because they're unified in their devotion and dedication to Jesus. And they don't try to go it alone. They don't try to go on this thing alone. They go together on mission. I love how it says it so plainly. Paul wanted to take Timothy with him, so he did. It's just that simple. It's that easy. Paul had a habit of going and preaching the gospel in the synagogue because that's just that's what he knows. So Timothy did what it takes to be able to go along with him. They're teaming up together to go strengthens the mission. So grab someone and take them with you. That simple. If you see someone who just doesn't have the same barriers as you, grab them and take them along. You don't need to make it weird. If you're going to get drinks with a friend, grab someone, take them with you. If you're going to city group, bring someone, take them with you. If you're going to watch the game, bring someone with you. If you're volunteering, if you're studying your Bible, going shopping, you know, you get the idea. It's pretty simple. But I think it's important because this is one of the main ways that God works to form these deep, rich discipleship relationships like Paul and Timothy have. It's how he's going to build up his church. So we're supposed to belong to each other, to go together, but how are we to go and what happens when we do go? Uh, Let's close out this section in Acts 16, 4 and 5. As they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decision reached by the apostles and the elders at Jerusalem for the people to observe. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. So now we've got Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and they're all bringing this letter with them that was from the Jerusalem council that said, it's just by grace you have been saved. It's not by the law. And so they're bringing this, church, this letter around with them to all these churches and proclaiming the good news of Jesus' grace. And the churches in the surrounding towns are strengthened and they're built up in the faith and they're growing in numbers. So Alex touched on this last week, but why Why is this letter from Jerusalem such good news? Why, when they read it to the churches, are believers so encouraged? It's because they're hearing about the bountiful grace of Jesus. What they're being told is that salvation from death has already arrived, and it's by the finished work of Jesus. Freedom from sin doesn't require you to follow all the Levitical laws. 
Joining Jesus' family doesn't require you to leave your ethnicity behind and become Jewish. Eternal life, a life united with God, the God of all creation, has been already brought to us just by the pure goodness, the grace of Jesus. Nothing at all was going to stand in the way of Jesus' love for you. Not ethnic divides, not religious piety, not socioeconomic standing, not sin, and not even death. It's just by grace, through faith in Jesus. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's Romans 8, 38 and 39. We, we've got to get this straight. Because when it's, it's seen and it's proclaimed clearly, God's, it's God's message to us. And it's been God's message to us from the very beginning. It's the message that the true God is one full of goodness and grace and hope and love for all of creation. And we have been called to represent that God to our neighbors and all the way to the ends of the earth. It's this message that moves Paul to double down on churches and moves Timothy to go with him. When we get this message right in our hearts and in our minds, the glory of God shines to those who don't yet believe and to those who do, they're strengthened. They're strengthened up in the faith and the church of Jesus thrives. The grace of Jesus, his life and his death and his resurrection, whether it's proclaimed in the synagogues or proclaimed in the church, it builds up the body of believers. And that's important because the church has been God's plan for revealing his love for us from the very beginning. And so we can absolutely trust that no matter what, God will accomplish his work of building up the church in love. And he's going to do it by multiplying leaders, by raising up disciples that let nothing stop them from pro proclaiming the good news of Jesus because they're moved. We are moved by Christ's love. And we belong to each other and we go together and when we do, we grow together. That's what we get to see in this passage today. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we can absolutely trust in your goodness. That from the very beginning of time, you've been working to build up the church, to bring your spirit of love and goodness and grace to all of creation. And the way that you do that is through us. People who otherwise, without your grace, would just be sinful and evil and full of darkness and representing ourselves to the world and just creating more chaos. But God, because of your mercy, because of your goodness, you didn't abandon us in that. You doubled down on your relationship with us, and you, you made it personal, God. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And thank you that you are now filling up, when we believe in who you are and what you've done, that you are filling us up with that same spirit, a spirit of love and grace and mercy, Lord. So may we not let anything come between us and that good news, and that going to the people around us, Lord. Don't let anything stop us from sharing that good news, but instead, 
May we point to that goodness and say, that's the reason that I absolutely must carry this forward. That's the reason that I absolutely must meet with my brothers and sisters to strengthen them in the faith because we've got to do this right. We've got to represent the goodness of God and not something else. Father, I thank you that even in weird and troubling texts sometimes that you can still reveal yourself as true and good and that we can count on that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.